he would listen to the band and then he would mute the console and he would turn to the front house guy and goes, does that sound good to you? So, you know, if you say no, you're out of there straight away. But if you say yes, and he would go, hmm. And then he would unmute the console and tell the band to play. And he would mute it again. And he would say, does that sound good to you? And, the, and you know, it's making the engineer sweat. And so he... <laughs> You know, he said, well, I think we could do a little bit better. And, and he would literally kind of like move someone out of the way. And he would go over the console while it was muted and go down each channel strip and adjust compressors and stuff. And then he would step back and he would go, all right, listen to this. He would unmute the console and he would tell the band to play. And man, it was like magic. It was like, like, like almost perfect. And I remember I had a conversation with him once at Paisley Park. I said, out of all the front of house engineers that you've ever had, mm -hmm. and he's had some amazing ones like uh, Robert Scoville, Cubby, um, several, I'm mean, like A-list people. I said, who was your all-time favorite? And he said, me. <laughs> Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This, this is, is Musically Hitched. He's managed successful tours for music stars like Prince, Earth, Wind & Fire, John Legend, Matchbox 20, Lionel Richie, Tyler the Creator, Alicia Keys, My Morning Jacket, Evanescence, and many, many more. He also serves as tour accountant and production manager for artists, touring music productions, and theater companies. He's a sought after speaker and gives charitably of his time and talents to causes most meaningful to him. Our guest today is David 51 Norman, music industry veteran and man of many talents. You don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Musically Hitched. I'm your host, Zach Reynolds, Jr. We are here today with a tour manager and tour accountant extraordinary, none other than Mr. David Norman. David, how are you doing? Man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, man. It's always a pleasure to, to get a chance to talk with you and talk music business. And that's what we do on Musically Hits. This show was designed for those that love music or and love to do it for a living or some combination of both. And so I really feel like today's conversation is going to be enlightening, helpful, and entertaining for a lot of people. So, so let's dig in. Let's do it. So first question, right off the top, a lot of people don't even know what a tour manager does. Don't even know that a tour account is a thing, right? So can you tell us what you do and then tell us why you do it? Uh, I'll answer it in two different ways because tour manager and tour account are two separate uh, entities. Mm -hmm. So as tour manager, my job is to oversee the whole tour and that encompasses uh, logistics of moving the band and crew from city to city, um, making sure that uh, the artist is well taken care of, uh, dealing with logistics of hotels, flights, all that stuff. And basically it's really if I'm dealing with the artist or the band, making sure they get from point A to point B in a timely and safe manner. Tour accountant, my job is starts way in advance of a tour, and that involves putting together budgets, uh, projections, if an artist is going to make money or lose money, 
I know artists want to go out and tour to, to lose money, so my job is to try to facilitate making things uh, easier to ensure that they make money. So, and then once I'm on tour, my job involves settlements, and that involves uh, the artists getting paid. I do per diems, I do salaries, I do payroll, so all of that stuff is encompassed under my umbrella mm. in, in both, both fields. That's a lot. Mm. So do you do you always work in a dual capacity, or do you do tour manager some tours, to accountant some, is it always both? Um, I always prefer to do both. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. For a couple of reasons. One is I, I like the money side of it, <laughs> because I'm always like, numbers um i've always i mean like my favorite thing if i had a choice between the two i'd rather just go out as to accountant because that way i don't have to deal with multiple personalities mm. i'm just dealing with the money i okay. can do it remotely um but whereas if you're a tour manager you're having to deal with different personalities sometimes you have to deal with family children all of that stuff mm -hmm. and sometimes all that stuff can kind of become overwhelming and so but i, I prefer to do I want to talk about that a little bit too. Tell me, what can you recall is one of your greatest memories on tour? If you can remember the tour, and if you can remember where. Oh, greatest memory. Uh, probably Alicia Keys. Um, I have always been interested in Eastern philosophy, and I've always loved Eastern culture. So we were doing a tour of China. Well, we we're doing a tour of Asia. And so one of my things when I was younger, I've always wanted to go to the Forbidden City in China, mm. and I always wanted to go to the Great Wall, and I accomplished both of those during the Alicia Keys tour. Nice. My other thing is we were playing in Dubai, and they the promoter did a dinner in the middle of the desert, so we had like belly dancers, uh, some guys came out with some falcons to kind of show us falconry, and my thing was on our day off, I asked the promoter if he could hire a car for me and just drive me to the middle of the desert and just leave me for an hour. And I just wanted to meditate for an hour. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing to actually just be in the middle of the desert and just hear nothing, no planes flying over, no birds flying Literally over. Literally nothing. Like nothing. You just, just sitting there, just, you just hear the wind and the sand. And I just sat there for an hour and man, it was just liberating. He didn't forget to come with you. Oh no, no. They, they came <laughs> back, but uh, I was really happy to see that came back <laughs> because you know I was in the middle of nowhere. Right. So. But I think that those three things were the top three things. They were all on the Alicia Keys tour. Artists, do you find that artists tend to find favorite places? Like as a tour manager, uh, one of the things that I've heard is that you often have to find venues or places of retreat, uh, obviously hotels, things like that. But have you ever found that artists? Um, like to retreat back to somewhere that you found for them in the past? Mm -hmm. It becomes a favorite stop. Whenever I get hired, one of the first conversations I have with an artist one-on-one -on -one is, tell me, give me a list of your favorite hotels. Mm -hmm. Give me a list of your hobbies and things that you like to do on days off. Um, like Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, we had three principals and like Philip Bailey, he wanted to go play golf. So mm -hmm. I knew that on days off, I had to set up a golf outing for him. Yeah. Like Ralph wanted to like, go to a music store or go fly a plane because he's also a pilot. Really? And Verdine wanted to go really? shopping or go to a spa. So I knew <laughs> on those days off, that was my mission on days off to figure out those things for the principal. So I always like to 
make sure that they're well taken care of on their days off. Amazing. And this is this is every city, like any just, off day, just on, in, on off days. Okay. Mm -hmm. So because sometimes some days it could be, how long could you go on a tour, and before there's an off day, for example. Uh, well, most tours now, you either play like three or four shows on a day off or two shows on a day off, two shows on. Because mm -hmm. for a lead singer, that's a lot to do like four or five shows in right. a row. Right. Um, so now you're starting to see more artists cutting back on uh, consecutive days on a tour. So I would say in a week, you can average like usually two days, maybe three days off in a week. What would you say has been one of the most challenging parts? of being a tour manager, considering that, because that, that to me, that seems like a tough nut to crack right there. Every um, every place you go, you got to find these three things for these three people. I think for me, it's just dealing with multiple personalities because you have so many people out on the road and everyone has, I can say an agenda, but everyone has what they need to make them happy on the road. Mm -hmm. And you know, on the road, when you have multiple personalities, you can't make everyone happy. That's right. I know so, that's right. So I think for me, it's just dealing with personalities, but if I'm dealing with an artist or, or a band and I'm on the bus with them or on flights with them, I know body actions of something that's making them uncomfortable or something that needs to change, or they'll just tell me directly, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And then I want to do it this way instead. And those are your marching orders. So you just take it and go with it. Yeah. What's something that you can recall may have been one of the most challenging conflicts to endure. We won't name any names <laughs> right now, but if you can think of it, what's, what fires have you had to put out? Yeah, um, I think, and you probably know who this one is, I think uh, I was on tour in Europe and we the whole tour was sold out all over Europe. And we were traveling, I can't remember from where, into Germany, where we had six sold out shows in the arena. And the artist called me on the phone just as we were getting ready to cross into the German border. And he says, I don't want to play Germany. And I said, what do you mean you don't want to play? He says, I just don't, I, I'm just not feeling it. I said, well, we've got six sold out arena shows. And he oh, says, wow. well, I want to play London tomorrow night. And I said, well, we can't play London tomorrow night. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, I was born in England, and you do realize that England is an island, so it's not like we can just turn around and just drive back. Exactly. There's ferry crossings involved, there's uh, work visas, all of that stuff involved. And uh, so we eventually turned it back around like a day or two later. Wow. So I think that was a hard one because of having to reroute and tell the promoter, hey, we're not going to do these six sold out shows. We're going to go back to London and play this. So I think that was probably one of the most stressful and most difficult ones I had to deal with. Mm -hmm. So you deal with a lot. That, that you, you named off several, several responsibilities mm -hmm. at the beginning. Um, when you, let's say for example, uh, Rolling Stone, you two big names, right? Often named among maybe the, the highest grossing artists of all time. If you were to get a call today for either one of those artists, and they said, David, we've heard about you. We feel like we'll be in good hands. Would you be our tour manager? Assuming you accept. Assuming. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your first step? What do you do like within the first seven days, if you even have seven days before you have to go on the road? Am I traveling with the band? Am I traveling separately? Mm -hmm. uh, 
I need to know like all of those things to make sure that logistically I'm taken care of and logistically how I'm going to move the band also. So mm-hmm. it's like several points that you kind of have to ask. And usually you would ask those questions with management first because management or the agents going to be the ones who are going to call me. Right. So it would be those things. I want to first know how to negotiate salary first mm-hmm. and then everything else. Starting with you. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. Okay. Because if I ask for something that's out of their realm, then that's the end of the conversation there. Then they would just move on to somebody else. Right. Right. If I'm in their wheelhouse, and then we could continue those conversations. So a lot of times, and as a touring musician myself, I understand that artists, they get together and they rehearse and often do what's called lockout, mm-hmm. which for those that may or may not know, that just basically means we trap ourselves in a room for a number of weeks, maybe up to a month, mm-hmm. learning show material, learning the tour, learning, you know, everything that we need to know musically to get out on the road. But is that a point in time where I would have already met the tour manager or do I not meet the tour manager until they say, hey, we'll pick you up at the airport or catch the bus from this location? No, because the tour manager would probably be involved in helping logistically finding a place for them to rehearse. and if- and if they're going to be rehearsing someplace where all the band members or the artists aren't based out of, there's mm-hmm. going to be hotels that are involved, flights that are involved, right. uh, per diem, salaries, all that stuff. So I would have been way ahead of that just to right. make sure all of that stuff was solidified. So, so that, that's a secondary step. So basically, in other words, what we're getting at is that the tour manager, in essence, literally, <laughs> for lack of better words, you manage or create the tour. The tour. Mm-hmm. So it starts with like step one, yeah. your salary. Hey, I've got to know that I can actually do the job. Mm-hmm. What is your process for negotiating your salary? And if, is there a number or range that people that are interested or maybe even want to pursue your path? What should they ask for? What should they look for, particularly when they first start? One of the best lessons I learned is know your worth. So if you think that you're worth this amount of money, and Prince also taught me this. Okay. Because when I negotiated my salary with him, I said, well, I kind of want this. And he says, well, do you think you're worth that? And you know, that kind of puts you <laughs> on point right there. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm worth that. I can see Prince asking that Yeah, question. and you know, but you, he was so wise, but I would say, know your worth, um, and find out all the details of the job, you know, because the other thing is sometimes people say, I want to hire you as tour manager, but they won't give you all of the details of what's going to be involved with that. Mm-hmm. Is their family involved? Are their children involved? Or are there pets that you have to fly with? Yeah. Are they going to fly domestic? Are they going to fly charter? Are they going to be in the bus? You know, it's mm-hmm. just all of those things that you kind of need to find out so you can figure out the size and scope of the tour mm-hmm. and what you're going to be doing and what your responsibilities are going to be. Um, so I would say, uh, Negotiate the salary, negotiate per diem, uh, negotiate how you're going to fly also. Are you going to fly economy, premium economy, business class, first class, all of those things. And it also depends on the size and scope of the tour to, to ask those things. So, But know your worth. So what would you say, There's a, is there a starting number that people should consider? If someone wants to be a tour manager and they go in, don't ask for any less than this. No, because it's going to depend on the size and scope of the tour. Because you know, there's tours that are like a van and trailer on up to like tours with multiple right. buses and trucks. So, right. um, and if it's a van and trailer tour, you know, are you dealing with everyone as the artist and the band and some of the group of people from that same band? So it could be anywhere from a thousand dollars a week 
on up to if you're on a, a large scale tour. I've heard of some tour managers making like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a week plus per year. So it just depends on the size and scope. Okay, and then the, for, for tours, say a tour could be anything. What what's the shortest a tour could be? For example, maybe what's the what's the longest one you have to go? Uh, shortest maybe five days, longest two years. And a tour is really any any time you leave and don't come home in segment. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So, but tours can be broken up into segments too. So you could have like, hey, we're going to go out during the summer, and the summer tour is going to be eight, nine weeks. And then you're going to come home, take a break for two or three weeks, and you're going to get prepared for the fall tour, which would be a certain amount of weeks. So, you know, one tour is based on the album cycle. So if an artist comes out with an album, you're going to want to probably tour on that album for at least two years, mm -hmm. but you're going to break up that tour in segments because you're going to tour the States, Europe, Asia, and other parts of the, the world. World Tour. The tour starts abroad sometimes, could start domestically in your home country. When do you get involved in that process? And how does it fill itself out from, let's say, one country to the next or from U.S. to, to World Tour? Uh, I usually come in mid-level part of it because once a record has been released or getting ready to be released, there's a, a conversation is usually had between these three entities, which is usually the band, management, and their agent, of how they want to tour, where they want to tour, how long they want to tour. And once the dates are set, then everything comes to me. To facilitate that, as far as putting together budgets, sometimes staffing it, sometimes figuring out um, how we're going to move everyone from city to city, and sometimes from city to city, also country to country. Because once you move from country to country, there's work visas involved, passports involved, um, taxes involved, because taxes range differently from country to country, city to city, state to state. So um, I come in mid level and my job is to facilitate it once all the dates are there. Yeah, yeah. So when you talk about taxes just now, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure a lot of uh, musicians and singers that are, that are listening and watching right now would want to know the answer to this question. Who's responsible for helping them understand how to navigate? Is that a, is that a conversation that they have with the tour account about how to, because you know, when you think about withholding and, and you just have to do with your country's taxes, that's one thing. What is the best way for someone to be well informed about how to handle taxation, going from country to country as a position? Um, a lot of times, all of that's dealt with via the band's business manager. Okay. Which is, and what they'll do is they'll file on your behalf because they're the ones that are paying you your salary. Right. So, and, and you function, you're not, are you a CPA? I am not. Okay. So, is that not a requirement? It basically, does not, you don't have to be a CPA to be a tour accountant. No. But do you do, in essence, function a lot like the accountant on the road? I am. Or yep. do you actually work in conjunction with the, the business CPA manager? And the business manager. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. So, in essence, you report the numbers to them that they need to. Yep. to so, do I'm the eyes and ears for the business manager, and I'm also the eyes and ears for management mm. since they're not physically out there on the road. Right. So, I report to two different entities just to make sure that we're on point at all times. Right. And so if there's a hierarchy, there's artists or principal, mm -hmm. they would be the boss, yep. right? Is there anybody between you and the artist? And then we'll talk about the hierarchy. Management, business management agent. Okay. Yep. 
And then underneath tour manager, how would you describe that hierarchy? But let me go back for a second. Okay. So on the road, the hierarchy would be the artist and then tour manager. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, right. Because right. I'm the eyes and ears of everyone yeah, right. else, exactly. and I report to everyone else. And what was your second question? I'm sorry. So, under, but under the tour manager, what's where would be the hierarchy there? Um, uh, it would be tour manager, production manager, on the road, mm-hmm. um, probably stage manager, production coordinator, and on and on and on till okay. the break of dawn. So road road managers, and road musical managers, directors, yep. people like mm-hmm. that, because you know, a lot of people that have responsible vocal directors, yep. choreographers, someone's set designer, yeah, mm-hmm. right, responsible for for many groups, if yep. you will. On yep. the tour. What's the largest uh, amount of people you can recall having to manage on the tour? One hundred and sixty. One hundred and sixty. Mm-hmm. And, and that included truck drivers, bus drivers, pilots, um, caterers that we traveled with. Mm-hmm. So how many different vehicles would you say on average does it take to move 160 people in the types of vehicles? Uh, tour buses, most people think about tour buses. You may not think about trucks. Some of the other people, trucks. Planes. Uh, trucks, I would say it would be anywhere between 15 to 30 trucks. Uh, buses, it could be anywhere between eight to, to 20, depending on how you put people on, on a bus. Mm-hmm. Now there's a new bus company. Well, there's this Europe, European bus company called Beat the Street, but they've also brought their double-decker buses over here to the States. Mm, okay. So usual, usually U.S. buses, you can get up to 12 people on the bus, but with these Beat the Street buses, you can get up to 16 people. But with COVID, you know, you can kind of, be different because if one person catches COVID on your bus, you can take out that whole bus. Whole bus. Yeah. Have you had any instances like that where you've had to deal with since getting back onto the road? Oh yeah. 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 So does that does that shut the tour down or what is the pivot and move that you have to make? Um what I have done on a couple of tours is I don't put like all of my audio team on one bus, all video team on one bus, all lighting. What I do is I kind of break people up amongst buses. So if one person gets sick on a particular bus, it doesn't take out all of my audio or all of my lighting because then that will shut down. No, that's that's very, very smart. So there's, there are ways around it, even this, this monster that we've had to deal with mm-hmm. in COVID, uh, moving around and moving around safely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's very good to know. So when you go from national tour to world tour, we were talking about the steps and the process for that. So give us a little bit more insight on how, how you go from a national tour to world tour. It's pretty much the same thing is that you just have to diff, uh, deal with different cultures and customs when you go into the, the various countries, especially going through Asia and Middle Eastern countries because there are a lot of customs that you have to be super aware of. Uh, like in Japan, never give someone a gift that's all wrapped in white because that's in Japan that is a symbol of death. So you have to, um, then in some parts of the Middle East, you have to be very, very careful about how you talk to women or if you can even speak to women. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's basically the same principle as touring here in the States, except the lights are longer, mm-hmm. uh, the food is different. Um, so it's pretty much all the same to me, other than just the, the travel, the food, the customs. And you learn to uh, to keep a journal to, to kind of make notes. Uh, I'll oh, do yeah. that again. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> make sure to say this next time. Yep. 
Uh, one of the things I learned the first time I went over to Japan with the band was to learn how to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening in Japanese. Because mm -hmm. if you go to any country, if you just learn a few words, they know that you're at least making the effort. Mm -hmm. But most countries now, English is a second language, so it's easier to communicate. But when I was coming up, you know, each country had their own different currency. They all had, you know, a lot of times they didn't know English. So now, and then with the Google Voice, you can just say into the phone, blah, 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 and it will play back in that particular language what you're trying to say. It's making communication between the various countries much, much easier. So before you became a tour manager, let's take it back for a second. What were you doing before you became a tour manager? I was a drummer. Drummer. Yep. I played in a lot of top 40 bands. I actually played a Rush cover band for many years. So nice. We played everything from Rush to the Journey, Stigs. Uh, played a little bit of everything. I was a drummer. I was a really good drummer. I'm still a good drummer. Yeah? Yeah. You know, we got a drum set. We need to take a commercial break. That's funny. So, drums, your favorite set of drums? I don't know, should we get into that? Did you have a you know, uh, DW, oh, I'm Apex? Uh, I have a DW kit, but um, I've, my dream kit is to have an old Slingerland drum kit. So, I've been on the lookout for one of those. But so you can just keep a set in your house. Like, mm -hmm. It's in my shed in the backyard. Okay. So I go out there and just bang around from time to time. I think I'm going to go do that after we finish it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so also studio, I think if I'm not mistaken, you had your own studio in the, the Georgia area at mm -hmm. one point. So tell us about those days and, and is that still, this is still on the journey to becoming tour manager? I think it was part of the journey. Um, I owned a recording studio down in Warner Robins, Georgia. My father uh, retired at Warner Robins Air Force Base, uh, which is about 85 miles from here in, a, in Atlanta. Um, so I owned the studio for like two or three years, and one of the groups that um, was recording there got signed to a major deal with Motown Records, and when they went on the road, they wanted someone to go out and kind of mix and engineer for them, which I did. But since I was a studio owner, and a drummer that knew that I could set up a drum kit, I could set up the bass rig, I could set up the guitar rig. So I was basically doing everything and driving and booking all the stuff. I didn't know what a tour manager was or even what the term was, but I was the all-encompassing guy because the, the band was from a very, very small town. So that was kind of like my first foray into being a tour manager. Do you still use things from those days on the road today? Any lessons that you learned that have just been a permanent oh, yeah. stay as a tour manager? Uh, notes and a notepad. Like when I'm advancing a show, even though I advance a show on my computer or my database, I still take notes when people are saying things just to kind of, because afterwards you might forget something or they might say something that I just notes. And that was one of the things one of my uh, tour manager mentors taught me. He says, always have a notepad. And it, it came to pass when I was working with the purple guy because uh, he would throw wild stuff at you and I would always have a little notebook here and I would yep, yes, yes sir. Because you know, in the, in a day, you've got like a million things coming at you and you can't retain all that information. If you have a notepad and you jot stuff down as it comes about, yeah, the same shit. So what was it like working with the legendary artist Prince? How did that call come about? 
that you could recall? Um, what was that? I remember it was in 2000. I remember my phone rang. It was like 3.30 in the morning, I think. And someone says, hey, this is blah, blah, blah. Uh, I work with Prince, and uh, he would like to have a conversation with you. And that night, I had been out with my boys, and we were celebrating like a birthday. And, you know, I was like, they're playing a prank on me. So I hung up the phone, <laughs> and uh, the phone rang back like, you know, 10 seconds later. And I said, hey, did you just hang up on me? And I said, yeah. I said, man, come on, I don't have time for this. This is way too early in the morning. Said, no, we're, we're serious. And uh, they said, well, we want you to come to Paisley Park tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, right. No, we were in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And it was one of those things where um, this is all before TSA pre, when you could just walk to the gates, you mm -hmm. know, with pass security and everything. <laughs> and they said, there'll be a ticket for you at the gate for Delta. And I was like, man, if I go tomorrow, I'm going to be pissed off. So I got up the next morning, I went to the gate, and I said, hey, is there a ticket to Minneapolis for David Norman? And I handed him my ID, and the lady was like, Ch -ch 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 -ch. yes, sir, here's a first-class ticket to Minneapolis. I was like, oh, oh, wow. this is serious. First class. Yep. Mm -hmm. so. And that was the beginning. And I remember when I first walked into Paisley Park, and it was kind of like, almost like a Dave Chappelle thing, because when you walked in, he was like in the foyer, kind of like in the corner in the dark. And so that, you saw, like, as soon as you come in, like, Prince is one of the first people oh, yeah. in the jerseys. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't get met with a butt or anybody's security? Mm -hmm. Just the person who picked me up from the airport and drove me out there. Wow. And said, okay. this is, well, you know who this is, and boss, this is David Norman, and he came out. And, you know, you just automatically, when you see someone, you just put your hand out to come uh -huh. out. So, and at the time, I didn't know he was a major germaphobe, and he kind of <laughs> did this, <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of rude. You didn't pass out like some people yeah. wanted to see them. No, I was scared. The purple one the first time. I was scared. Okay. I would right. be the first one. And even though I was working with them, I was still scared. Because <laughs> when someone's that smart and that talented, it kind of throws you off. Yeah. And the way that he would talk to you at times kind of would throw you off too. Because I would see how he would talk to like front of house engineers. And I was like, ooh, this is not going to go over well. Because like, he would come out front to the console during sound check, and we traveled with five front of house guys, and he would, the first guy, he would listen to the band, and then he would mute the console, and he would turn to the front house guy and goes, does that sound good to you? So you know, <laughs> if you say no, you're out of there straight away. But if you say yes, and he would go, hmm. And then we would unmute the console and tell the band to play, and he would mute it again, and he would say, does that sound good to you? And the and, you know, it's making the engineer sweat. And so he, you know, he said, well, I think we could do a little bit better. And, and he would literally kind of like move someone out of the way. And he would go over the console while it was muted and go down each channel strip and adjust compressors and stuff. And then he would step back and he would go, all right, listen to this. He would unmute the console and he would tell the band to play. And man, it was like magic. It was like, like, like almost perfect. And I remember I had a conversation with him once at Paisley Park. I said, out of all the front of house engineers that you've ever had, mm -hmm. and he's had some amazing ones like uh, Robert Scoville, Cubby, um, several, I'm like A-list people. I said, who was your all-time favorite? And he said, me. <laughs> and I said, well, outside of you, who? He said, no, me. If I could clone myself, I would be. And he said, well, let me tell you this, Mr. Norman. This is why. He says, I play the music. 
I wrote the music, I engineered the music, and a lot of times I mixed and mastered music. So who would know better than my music than me? So, so you got an incredible experience here. So when you get this call, who were you working with at the time? Were you working with an artist and you left this artist to work with Prince or were you kind of in between? No, I was in between. I can't remember who I was with. Okay. I still to this day have no idea how he got my name or my number, which really? is still, yeah, it's still a mystery to me. Yeah. And why he would call me. Of Out of all the people in the world, you know, this guy he doesn't even know in Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm. So... Well, but you had experience, though. It's not like he, he didn't just literally... Just yeah, I, but I didn't have, thing. like, experience. Experience. Right. Do you think that could be why? Do you think he wanted someone that Maybe. did not have a bias from the past? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What are some other uh, cool stories, Prince? I know you told me one before. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jog your memory okay. with this one. I know the, the guests would love to hear this. So Prince has, obviously, no shortage of dates when, he's, when he was on the road tour. Mm-hmm. Everyone around the world wants to see him. But you told me a story once about, it was two stories, maybe we can do both. One was about how he actually would find work as an artist, even though he's a iconic, legendary artist. So in between shows, tell, tell me the story. Oh, again, he, would, he would do shows after the show. Yeah. So we would play at like an arena, and then after the show, he would want to go play an after show at like a small club or bar. Mm-hmm. And so we would have to have two separate crews at times, you know, because, you know, we couldn't work 24 hours a day. So while he was playing the main show, there would be we would have a separate uh, gear that would be being set up and it would be kind of like a surprise show. And sometimes he would just say from the stage, hey, if you guys want to continue this party, we're going to be playing over at the Cotton Club here in Atlanta <laughs> downstairs. So just come over there. And of course, you know, as soon as the show's over, everyone will make a beeline over there. Yeah. Right. And man, some of those shows, he would play like another three hours. And those shows were wow. like off the chain, some wow. of the stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And so did you, you know, as your role as a tour manager at that time, you already knew about these things in advance before coming to those cities? You kind of set that up? Or did you have to do it like after you got to the city? Well, at that time, I was a production manager. So okay. I was dealing with all things technical. So yeah, I would, we would be given the heads up. Hey, after the show tonight, we're going to go play here. So mm-hmm. you need to make plans to get this gear and this stuff over to this show mm-hmm. afterwards while the regular crew would be loading out all the stuff out of the arena and stuff so yeah some of the things that uh branching off of your question mm-hmm. some of the things that i saw that he did that a lot of people don't know is that he did a lot of charity work um he would like go to children's hospitals and he would play of course there would be like no cameras mm-hmm. no video thing and he just wanted it to be a one-on-one thing with that and he did a lot of charity work where he would physically give money to an organization or a person who was in need mm-hmm. and so he was very very charitable with his money and with his time and a lot of people would think that he was very very um arrogant, very um, narcissistic, but he had a whole nother side to him that a lot of people didn't see. Mm -hmm. And I think that he, I would say outside of John Legend and Tyler, the creator, he was probably the smartest and most charitable Mm -hmm. artist I've ever worked with. Yeah, one particular story that, that may ring a bell is I think you mentioned that he was playing a venue and I think it was a, a venue that was not on the main tour uh, itinerary, but at the end of the show, 
he actually paid oh yeah the yeah, crew yeah versus yeah. so versus we had uh this tour we had just finished doing i think it was like 16 or 17 shows in a row and the crew we were just burnt out and we had a day off coming up in brussels and um every everyone was looking forward to the day off and he had called and says hey i want to play tonight and i was like <laughs> Man, we're burnt out. You know, what are you, a musician? Says, yeah, says we're we're burnt out. And he said, I want you and the production assistant to kind of go around and see if you can find some places. So we went all around Brussels and we were taking photos of places and we would text him. He's like, No, I don't like that. No, I'm not feeling that energy. Blah blah blah. So he says, Well, what about the botanical gardens? I'm like, the botanical gardens. He says, Well, there's a little club in there that holds like 300 people. I want to play there. And it's like. All right, I'll go over there. Well, the botanical gardens to load in was down this cobblestone road, and it was like a hundred yard push to get all the gear into this little club. Wow! And so we got everything in, and he came over for sound check, and he says, "Well, I'm going to do three shows tonight." And I was like, "What?" He says, "Yeah, I want to do a seven o'clock, a nine fifteen, and eleven thirty show." I said, "Man, you're killing us!" You know, <laughs> Did you say this out loud? Oh, yeah, because at that point, you know, <laughs> I was so... At this point, you got a relationship. Yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated. I, you know, I was ready to go home. I was so burnt out. And so we did the three shows. And at the end of the night, you know, I was settling up the show with the promoter. And uh, he was leaving out of the building. And, you know, he kind of waved. And I was... I guess I was kind of, like, glaring at him. And <laughs> so the next day, we were loading in. I can't remember where it was. Uh, we were loading in. And he came in the production office, and he closed the door behind him. I was like, oh, boy, he's getting ready to rip on me. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to take some of the proceeds from last night's show and kind of dole it out amongst the crew as a thank you. Wow. Because uh, you guys went above and beyond for doing that. And he says, I, I know that you guys are tired. And I was like, really? He says, yeah. He says, take what we made. Um, how many crew people do we have out here? And I said, I think we have like 46. He said, just basically take all the money from the three shows, divvy it up amongst everybody. And he says, make sure you take care of the drivers, the truck drivers and the bus drivers also. Nice. And I was like, oh, okay. So he, he, he does see what's going on mm-hmm. out here. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I, he gave, I gave him mad kudos for that. That's I awesome. Did. That's awesome. So you've, you've worked with, Obviously, Prince is, is, is needs no introduction or ex- explanation. But Earth, Wind, and Fire is another name mm-hmm. that comes to mind. Um, many believe them to be the greatest band of all time. Amazing. Um, when you would travel with them, I know from my seat as a musician and music director and band leader also that you have multiple buses sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the tour manager often travels with the artist on artist the road. Artist and our band. Okay. It, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they're often referred to as, as principals. So mm-hmm. what was it like being on the tour bus with Earth, Wind & Fire, like with Philip and Ralph? And I loved it. Um, Philip's are very quiet, so he would get on the bus and he would just go to his bedroom in the back. Uh, Verdine and Ralph would stay up, you know, and kind of talk and hang out. Verdine would just spend a lot of times just reading in the front lounge. I loved it because I would come on the bus and like most of the time they were already in their bunks mm-hmm. and you know the bus is quiet. I very rarely ever saw the TV turned on, but they're very personable. Um, and, and the thing I really loved about them is that they've been touring for so long, mm-hmm. they get it and they know what they specifically want. They know what they specifically don't want and they lay it out to you like right from the jump. Okay. Um, and so you just try to 
make sure that they're happy and try to accommodate all of their requests. So mm -hmm. I, I, I loved working with those guys. That's awesome. What do you think is the secret to their success? You had a, a different type of view from, from a typical fan. You saw uh, it internally. What, what has been the key to their success over the I years? think how they treat people and how they talk to people. Like mm -hmm. even walking through the airport, if people come up and want to take photos, they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Or if people want them to sign stuff, they don't go out of their way like, no, I don't have time. I'm in a rush. You know, they make time for people, and they they really accommodate people. And that was one of the things that I, that I really really liked about them. And they played a lot of charity events, also. Awesome, awesome. You are currently on tour with uh, My Morning Jacket, mm -hmm. and before that, if I'm not mistaken, was Tyler the Creator. Correct. Talk to me about the differences between those two, because that's different. That's definitely two different artists, two different genres, mm -hmm. and what it takes to be uh, a multi-genre tour manager, tour account? Um, they're vastly different. And me as being a person of color tour manager, mm -hmm. I grew up never wanting to get pigeonholed and just doing R&B and hip hop because I think that kind of very limits you. Mm -hmm. um, so I do country, I do rock, I do jazz, I do a little bit of everything. And I think that comes out of my upbringing with my father who listened to everything in our household. My father would listen to country and western music and then like the next record he would put on the turntable would be like an opera okay. thing and then the next thing he would put on Motown so we had music in our household so I think that kind of spurred me to kind of want to learn and be in all different genres of music and I also think that you can bring a little bit of something from each genre that you work with into your current situation and I think that makes you more well-rounded nice. right. um, instead right. of like black artists only tour like this, or country artists only tour like this, or rock bands only tour like this. You could take all of that and you just meld it all together and I just think it just makes you a better tour manager. Mm -hmm. is, are there ever moments where there is racial tension? Oh God, yeah. Because some people will avoid it because they, they want to be around their culture. Maybe a white tour manager mm -hmm. wants to be a predominantly Caucasian group. As you mentioned, a black tour manager or Asian, they, they may want to tour with, with their own people, mm -hmm. right? What are some of the ways to navigate? Well, back in, when I was first starting out, I'll tell you this little story is I got a call to work with a country artist. And so I drove up to Nashville and, you know, they had seen my resume. They didn't ask, you know, what race I was. And mm -hmm. I remember when I walked into the, the office and the receptionist, she said, can I help you? I said, I'm David Norman. I'm here for the interview. Mm -hmm. And she went, oh my. <laughs> and so I knew what that meant. She wasn't expecting me to be black. So she went in the back and uh -huh. she was gone for like 10 minutes and she came back. She said, I'm sorry, but that position's already been filled. I said, but wait, Ooh. I just drove up here to Nashville from Atlanta. And before I left, I had called just to make sure the interview was still on. She says, I'm sorry. So I knew that they knew that I wasn't black. And once they figured that out, that they didn't think that it would work. So they had no idea before you mm -hmm. left Atlanta. Nope. Of your and, and so a lot of times when I get calls from country or rock acts, I'll actually tell the manager or the agent. And a lot of times when I get these calls, most people know that I'm black. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, like with my morning jacket, when I got the call for them, I didn't know who they were. Um, and so one of the first things I said to their manager, I said, well, does the band know that I'm black? And he says, does that really matter? And I was like, oh, snap, this these people are like. Uh, I might want to go ahead and work it's with 2023 these right. <laughs> right and so we got on a zoom with the band and when I was talking to the band and not 
a single one of them even batted an eye when the zoom camera came on and they mm -hmm. saw that was black and they didn't even raise you know have you done any rock tours have you done any country tours their whole thing was can you do the job yes are you good at your job yes do you think that you can work with us mm -hmm. yes that was all they wanted to right. know they didn't right. care about this whatsoever right but i think that also with me being older now more people knowing my name they they know what kind of acts that mm -hmm. i'd be interested in working with you know i still get calls to work with r b acts or other type acts so I, I just don't think that our skin or our gender should hinder very true. us because if you can do the job you can do the job very true would you like to see more females serving as tour managers in yep. tour accounts and mm -hmm. if so how could how can they do so um I have a lot of friends who are production assistants or production coordinators who are basically the tour managers for the crew on the road. And I would say, why don't you just go ahead and make that jump to be a tour manager? Because we need more female production managers, tour managers, tour accountants. And a lot of times that they're say that they either don't want to deal with the artist or they would they feel more comfortable where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have to come about making that next step on their journey at their own time at their own pace so right. um i have a lot of friends that i say hey there's a great opportunity that you should really take advantage of and they're like nah i'm i don't think i'm ready for that but sometimes people don't see them how other people see them that's right um and so but they have to take that journey at their own their own pace mm -hmm. so you can see as because you're a mentor as well i do mm -hmm. i know this about you as well very passionate mentor you can see that other people are ready for what you've been living mm -hmm. for a while, but you find that they are actually pushing back. Mm -hmm. Or and you've got an opportunity, like I got an opportunity, like right now, mm -hmm. and I can put you on. Mm -hmm. They are pushing back from opportunities that really could change their life. But I just think it's fear mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, if you're fearful, what's the worst thing that could happen? It might work out. So why not Why not give it a shot? On top of the creator, I think my greatest accomplishment on that is I hired more people of color and more females on that tour. And I actually have a photo. I think I hired there was 17 people of color on that tour outside of Tyler. And my audio crew chief, black female. Uh, two people on the audio team, black. My uh, video crew chief, black. My lighting director uh, was black. So we had a lot of people of color, a lot of females out on that tour. And when I go to start a tour, I always ask my vendors, light, sound, video, trucks, buses, I'd like to see at least one female or at least one person of color out in the tour. Mm -hmm. And this, this like as almost like as a prerequisite for mm. them to get the mm -hmm. contract yep. for the tour. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Because it, if we don't get those opportunities, we're just automatically always going to be perceived as we're not as good as white people are. We're not, you know, what we always hear. And when I was at Roadies of Color, what we always would hear is like, I don't know of any good black tour managers or production manager or tour accountants. I'm like, well, there's a lot of us who've been in the game for over 20 years. What do you mm -hmm. mean? You don't know? right. And the reason why they don't know is because, A, they don't look for us, and B, and giving them the benefit of the doubt, a lot of times is that when you're hiring people, you're, of course, going to hire people that you know 
right. or that are in your inner circle. So sometimes going outside of your inner circle can lead you to like some really, really great people, and yeah. great benefits. Right. Well, I can definitely tell you that, that, you know, how we met was, was very unique. And I think that uh, if this is encouraging to anyone, I was actually looking into, because I'm a huge Earth, Wind & Fire fan, mm-hmm. right? anybody that knows me well knows that. And I was actually interested in how they tour, you know, just kind of call it professional development, educating myself on the industry. I was like, well, one of my favorite groups is obviously one of the most iconic groups of all time. They've m- moved around the world, literally, who is responsible for helping them do so? And so I think I Googled, you know, tour manager <laughs> or Earth, Wind & Fire tour manager, something like that. Eventually I, I found your name and what you were doing at that moment is you were actually speaking on a conference, mm-hmm. which was Roadies of Color. And that was a way, I had no idea it was even going to be local. It was actually in Atlanta that I found you were in mm-hmm. Atlanta, which, is, which made it even better. But what I've always loved about you personally is just how accessible you've made yourself, even though you've been on grand stages. You've never made yourself grand in mm-hmm. your personal presentation. You're always accessible. And you're a very passionate mentor. You believe in helping people. And you, he means what he's saying. When he's saying that there are opportunities <laughs> and, and if he thinks you can do it, he will make it available to you. And if you don't take it, that's on you. But uh, I think that's one of your strongest features that you, you love people mm-hmm. and you want to see other people do what you've done. Yeah. Because this is a very tough business to be in and that's a tough nut to crack. It Being is. a tour manager mm-hmm. and a tour account at the same time. That's like you do two jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but if you're looking to help other people get on, especially in the realm of diversity, Mm-hmm. Racial diversity, ethnic diversity, and then of course gender diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that women are getting paid the same or equivalent to their male counterparts in the same positions on the road? Nope. But I think it's twofold. One is I think that we're still in the stone ages as far as women getting paid the same in general. In yeah. general. And the other thing is I think that one of the things back to knowing your worth, that mm-hmm. if you think that you can do the job, and you think you're worth that money, ask for that money. Because the worst thing that happens, they could say no and then come back and negotiate something a little bit smaller. But know your worth. Mm -hmm. And that's how I always do go into any situation. I'm older now and I know I'm gonna eventually age out, but I have years and years of experience. So if you're asking for me to come and work for you, all of those years and years of experience are going to come with me with you, to right. you, so I should be paid appropriately, appropriately for that. Right, right. What do you think has been the key to your longevity or just longevity in general for successful tour managers? Um, I think being well-rounded. Um, I think being patient, and I think learning some, some valuable lessons from several mess-ups that I had in the past. Mm-hmm. and. Some of which, can you name a mess up that's oh my gosh, that we yeah. can share on the, yeah. on the air? <laughs> I would say my first one was when I got the call to work with Matchbox 20, which at the time they were huge. And I wanted to have like the best bus. I wanted to have an office on the bus. I wanted to have this, I wanted to have that. And I lost perspective that my job was to take care of the band and take care of the tour. I was more focusing on me mm. and I really, messed up and you know I did two runs with them on the third run I knew that things were different the whole vibe and energy was different coming from the band and coming from management and after the end of the tour I said you know what I lost total perspective and I think that was one of 
the big ones. And when I've been fired or let go from tours, sometimes you run your course of your personality starts being different when you've been around people for so long. And then sometimes, you know, people grow and they want to go into a different direction. And a lot of times I took it personally when I've been let go mm-hmm. because they're like, you know, I've done all this for you and blah, blah, blah. But people grow and they want to try things that are different. And you kind of have to understand that. Like with Tyler, the creator, uh, it got to a, a point of where um, it just wasn't working anymore. So I decided to step away from it. Um, and it was good. I mean, like he's still touring and life is going to go on. If you leave a tour and you jump onto another tour, if you get let go, you know, lick your wounds and then come back even stronger. Mm-hmm. Have you found some time that you were let go and you didn't really do anything wrong or unprofessional? It was just you just said it was just a matter of, okay, my time here's up, or yeah. they yeah. they want a new flavor at this, yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's, it's usually that. Or you know, when I was much younger, I was a little hot headed, and which I truly admit. Um, okay. I'll give you an example. Um, I was on a tour where I was just burnt out, and when you get burnt out, you don't make right decisions or you're very short with people and I remember our massage therapist who was on the road said something to me and it just tricked me and I had a gallon of milk and I remember I turned around and I just threw this gallon of milk at her my best friend was out in the tour she says five one you need to get help you know that's you need to get help and that's when I started therapy okay so um, I think between therapy yoga and just slowing down mm-hmm. has has helped me because I, I I feel like I'm a lot calmer now yeah. what would you you're obviously a, an advocate for for strong mental health mm-hmm. and that's, that's something that you can't it, it's a lot being on the road being a touring artist being a touring professional not mm-hmm. even just being the artist themselves but some of the things that you see and experience uh, on the road uh, can be <laughs> traumatic easy mm-hmm. word to describe uh, talk about the benefits of, of counseling because a, a lot of people, it's becoming more commonplace these days for people to be able to say, hey, I've, I'm, I'm working with a counselor, right? But, well, how has it benefited you to get that help? Well, for me, um, getting therapy and getting help, you know, in the black community, that's kind of like your shirt is a sign of weakness. Something to, wrong with you, yeah. Right. Yeah. To me, it's the, the complete opposite. You recognize that there's something that you need help with. So you've gone right. out of your wheelhouse to, to go get help. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people who have refused to get help and they turn to alcohol or drugs or women or so on and so on mm-hmm. and so on. My thing was um, being on the road, even with you being around tons of people, and if you're a tour manager or production manager, you're still extremely lonely. You don't have anyone on that tour to actually go talk to about personal stuff or mm-hmm. what you're going through. So you kind of need an outlet. And, you know, on the roads, sometimes I would call my therapist and we do it via Zoom or Google Meets or FaceTime um, because you're extremely lonely. There's You've got all of this stuff that you need to get out and you can't get out because you can't tell anyone on tour because... Sometimes some of the stuff that goes on tour, you physically, mentally, and legally can't share with anyone else on tour. So um, I, I'm a huge advocate of, of getting help. And I tell you, it, it definitely helped me, especially I lost my parents when I was very young. I never dealt with that grief. 
and multi-adapt therapy, it's, I'm, I'm a lot calmer. That's good. That's good. That's pretty good. So what are some of the differences um, when you think about artists? You've worked with artists from different genres, mm -hmm. as we mentioned. What's the difference between um, touring with an artist, let's say R&B, soul, pop, versus a genre like country? What are some of the, the logistical differences that you've noticed as a tour manager? Uh, country artists usually leave like maybe a Wednesday, because they usually play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And they usually want to try to be home on Sunday so they can go to church or spend time with their families. So okay. usually Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays are free. Um, and usually most people that go to concerts aren't going to go to a concert on a Monday or Tuesday anyway. Yeah, because so, of work schedules, et cetera. Correct. Okay. Uh, R&B world, I have found that they don't really tour for an extended amount of time. It's usually two months here and then boom they're done unless they're doing like certain festivals or um casino dates so i think that's the difference whereas rock tours you know they go out and they're out mm -hmm. so just a matter of preference so the, in essence the tour if you looked at the calendar it looks like it's going for three months or six months mm -hmm. but for country artists for example they're actually still coming home yep weekly yep from wherever they are mm -hmm. wow okay that's a that's a that's a pretty consistent. It took me a while uh, to get used to that when I was doing country artists. I mean, like, like was it, it disturbing to you at first? Like it, you it was. Used to it, like, it was because you get into a groove and then you go home, <laughs> and then you go back out and you get into another groove, and then you're you're back home. And then it was also a thing of you're put on a yearly salary instead of like a weekly salary. I wasn't used to that, so oh, wow. um, okay. so it it took some getting used to, but. Once you get into the groove, you you kind of enjoy it. Yeah, I heard about you know, Zach Brown band. I heard that they were pre-pandemic. They had they were actually on salary mm -hmm. for the year. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time I'd heard of an artist doing that that way. Because you know you may or may not be touring all year, but according to what you just said, the tour could easily last all year mm -hmm. if you're starting and stopping like that. Yep. And what was that about two, three, three shows a week mm -hmm. max? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that, that definitely would. And it keeps the artists out. fresh, also, because they're not burning out their voice mm -hmm. of doing four shows in a row or three shows in a row, which is a good thing, mm -hmm. a very good thing. Um, favorite artists to work with, if you have any, or um, Tyler the Creator, because he's a true visionary, and his team that he has around him are bar none like some of the best in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, John Legend. Because he's an old soul, and the thing, he's very, very smart. And with him being an old soul, the thing I loved about him the most was, yes, sir, no, sir, please, and thank you. And he taught me, like, if you don't have your word, what do you have? Mm -hmm. I remember him saying that to me um, in China when we were having a, a dinner, uh, end of tour dinner. And I would say Prince, of course, but I was also deathly scared of him because he was <laughs> too smart. Um, well, I think it started with him being in the shadows when you walked in yeah, the front door. Yeah, I mean, it was like Dracula, you know, <laughs> being over there in the shadows, you know, and him just coming out. Um, and I would say Green Day. I really enjoyed working with them because they were so um, unpredictable mm -hmm. and just the uh, practical jokes that they would play on tour or amongst themselves just always kept it entertaining 
Awesome. So you have a lot of interest outside of the music industry, mm -hmm. uh, but one that is still within the music industry. Uh, we mentioned your mentorship. Um, well done. Mm -hmm. You've recently gotten uh, a new role there. So mm -hmm. talk to us about your, your work with them and why you're passionate about the work of Well Done. Uh, I've been on the board of Well Done for a couple of years, and a few months ago um, I was asked to be president of Well Done. Amazing. And well Done is an organization – um, what we do is we help college students find internships and mentorships. Mm -hmm. And if we find our, if they're offered an unpaid internship, which by the way is illegal in several states, we provide a small stipend to kind of offset the cost of them paying for their own fuel or their own meals or stuff like that. So all donations are, and we're a 501c3, all donations are pretty much, um, we do fundraisers. So all donations, most of the, our donations come from Emily, I mean, I'm sorry, Chris and Deborah Dunn, who were the parents of Emily Dunn, who the foundation was started from. So uh, we're actually having a fundraiser in November, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, which you need to come to. Um, so that's what we do at Well Done. It's, uh, it was really started by the parents of Emily Dunn, and Emily Dunn had worked for the Bonnaroo Festival and Outside Lands Festival out in in Nashville and San Francisco, respectively. And tragically, she was uh, killed by a bus. Um, her parents and Superfly Promotions, who put on Bonnaroo and Outside Lands, wanted to tr travel, uh, continue on with her name and started this foundation of because she was very, very involved with helping other people. And so it's just an extension of that. So. That's what we do at Well Done. Awesome. awesome. And so if people want to support, is there a way to do that? Or is there a link that you mm -hmm. we could share? Yep, it's www.welldone.org. -E -L -L and your other company, Tour Forensic, mm -hmm. talk to us about what you do through Tour Forensics and why you started that. Uh, Tour Forensics was started by myself and my business partner, Gabby Para. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to start, and we started this company right before the pandemic hit. And what we wanted to do was start, and we saw how artists waste a lot of food and a lot of money on tour. And what we wanted to do was start a company where we would help artists build budgets, advance tours in a more economical and smarter way to tour. And our whole thing is we really wanted to, we don't want to like go after like big acts because that's not in our wheelhouse. We wanted to, to really support up-and-coming and, and mid-level acts, um, and especially acts of color. So Gabby is Hispanic, so she also speaks Spanish. She's based on the West Coast, I'm based on the East Coast. So we take our individual talents where I'm strong, she's weak, where she's strong, I'm weak. So we're kind of like, we've meshed, we mesh very, very well. And we do tour advance work, we do remote settlements, budgets, accounting, help with routing, help staff tours, help with payroll, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted to go, again, after artists who were up and coming mid-level, and especially more artists who are of color, because we have found that we need that. Because a lot of times on tours of color, they don't have a whole lot of experience in touring, and they make those mistakes of, I'm going to hire my mother or my sister, my uncle to be my tour manager or accountant, not knowing that they have no idea. And what we say is if you pay a little bit more on the front end, you're going to reap the benefits on the back end. But if you do it the opposite way, 
Because one of the things I've learned as a tour accountant is you don't have your financial house in order before you go out on tour. It's a domino effect. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. So we started Tour Forensics. Uh, our first client was an Australian artist named Dean Lewis. And we have now 13, 14. And uh, our longest client is a jazz artist named Gregory Porter, who's a Grammy winner. Mm-hmm. And he's been a client for over two years now. And uh, we're, we're doing well. And we're starting more into like remote settlements and accounting and stuff. Very good, very good. I remember when you, when you started and how excited you were and it's listening to the mm-hmm. that's materializing. And you mentioned, you mentioned payroll and I know we have a lot of musicians and some veterans and then some that are just getting started in their careers. Um, one, one of the biggest questions a lot of people, if you step into a new world, the touring world is a very different world. Uh, people want to make sure that they're going to get back for the work that they do. It's exciting to see the lights and the, two of us in the, the arenas, mm-hmm. but at the end of the show, you want to get a check, right? Mm-hmm. So when when and who do artists, performers, I mean themselves, see to get their paint? How does that work on the road? Is it direct deposit? Do I get a check every so often? So if it's, let's say it's an entity like, let's say, um, you're going on tour, you play like all arenas and stuff. So usually at the end of the night, there's this thing called settlement. What we do is we take all the, the bills and invoices that were associated with the show, which go against what you were guaranteed to get paid. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of that money either gets wired to your business manager or a check. Um, it's always wiser to me to have a wire because it's an immediate thing that goes into your bank account straight away. Whereas if you have a check, then I have to pick up a check, then I have to FedEx it, which could be another day or two and then plus now the FedEx stuff is more expensive. Uh, why not do a direct deposit bank wire? And a lot of times what we do is we have the promoter take care of the bank wire fees. Um, so it's you know bank wire fees to be anywhere from $25 to $50. So um, that's how it works. Now payroll, like if you're a singer, musician stuff, you're usually on a weekly payroll and your salary is negotiated, your Purdue was negotiated before you even go out on tour. So each week, are there's some business managers that pay every other week. You know that you're going to get a direct deposit, and they usually send you uh, an email saying, "This deposit has hit your account in this amount. This amount of taxes were taken out." Blah blah blah. At the end of the year, you have a master summary of every, of all your pay, of all the taxes that were taken out. So all you have to do is when you go to file your taxes, you have everything on one sheet. You just get to your your calendar. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Absolutely. What about tour budgets? How do you go about creating a budget for a tour? So let's say you're playing Madison Square Garden. You're going to get paid hundred thousand dollars, and then you've got a slew of other shows right after that. So you plan out what you're going to need staffing wise. Am I going to need this many band members? Am I going to need dancers? Am I going to need singers? What's your set? look like? Do you need this kind of lights? Do you need this kind of audio? And once you have that figured out, how many trucks and buses is that going to take? So you take all of these different elements and you start building a budget. And as you're building the budget, you're seeing the number, which you're guaranteed to get paid, you start seeing the number kind of slowly shrinking. <laughs> because touring is expensive. It is. Um, but there's right ways and wrong ways to tour. So uh, a good tour account will 
a good production manager, a good tour manager, and good management can kind of facilitate all of those things to make sure that you're going to come home with as much money as possible. Right, and these numbers, the numbers for like guarantees, for example, they could be established in advance, but like you said, that number starts moving down. So you have to make adjustments, I'm sure, and have you ever had to suggest to an artist, hey, we need to make some cuts or some adjustments here so that you can actually go come on profitably off of Yeah, but those conversations I would usually have with management and business management for them to have that conversation with the artist. I would never go to an artist directly, yeah, because that's not, not your way. Yeah, I'm not a personal manager. I, I take care of the stuff on tour. But again, I'm the eyes and ears for management and business management out on the tour, so I can kind of give them, hey, here's a heads up. Yeah. Just, I'm leaving it with you. If they've got questions, hey, are we making money? They come to you and right. say, you know, and if not, what can we do to, mm -hmm. to make it just, I got it. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So one of the things as we wrap up that I know that you're passionate about, not music related at all, but you know, when you think about, uh, when I think about you, I, I always thought about your love for animals. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a pretty phenomenal story. I'm gonna let you tell it, but I had no idea that you were in the rescue mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. I knew you had dogs, mm -hmm. but tell our listeners about your experience and why uh, you have been uh, a savior since for a lot of stray It pains me to see someone or an animal injured. So um, I volunteered to play the County Humane Society. Mm -hmm. um, and like in my neighborhood, you know, we see dogs that are injured or need help. And it's, it's just a natural thing it's just to, to go and help them. Um, and I just, Love animals. I mean, I love dogs. You know, my my favorite animals would be elephants, dogs, dragons, in, in that order. So, um, I just I, I just love it. I mean, I get nothing of it other than just seeing that you're helping an animal in need, and to see them go into a foster home or for them to stay in my home. It's just that, that's payment enough. And how many animals would you say you've rescued over the years that you had to put in them? Maybe 40, 50. Wow. Yep. And it's been everything from dogs, cats, rabbits, birds, turtles. Um, everything. Amazing. Amazing. Other things when you're not on the road, because yeah, a lot of times when you're on the road all the time, you look forward to home as like vacation. Right? Mm -hmm. So, what do you do when you're not on the road when you're at home? Uh, play my drums, uh, hang out with my dogs, go for walks, uh, catch up on Netflix. Um, I, like I said, volunteer at the Clayton County Humane Society, and I also do some work from time to time with a local women's battered shelter to kind of help them out when they need help. Um, and I like to, to mentor. Um, I do, I became an adjunct professor during the pandemic, so I led classes at like 12 or 14 different colleges and universities talking about music business and touring, so, so I really love that, which ties in with Well Done helping out college students. And then I'm also on the board of an organization called the Touring Career Workshop, which is up in Nashville. Um, and what we do is we, it's also a 501c3, we also help uh, touring people find opportunities with workshops, mentorships, internships, that kind of thing. Great work, great work. So where can people that want to stay connected to you, where can they find you on social media or on the web? Uh, I'm on Instagram at David 5-1, spelled out in the letters, 
Uh, my website is David Dave, I'm sorry, www.david51.com, and then Tour Forensics is www.tourforensics.com. And you have to tell us the story. How did you get the nickname? Uh, oh, that's, that had to be for part two. That's a long oh, story. Oh, wow. So you're, <laughs> you might be coming back. Yeah. That's a long story. Well, we appreciate having you on the show, man. It's nothing like talking to someone who is, has done as much as you've done and, and, and you're willing to share. You know, some people are having stories not willing to, to share as, as much, but you have, I mean, buckets and buckets of stories. So we absolutely may have to have you there. For a part two, but you're one of the best guys I've ever Thank met you. in the industry. I'm glad to call you a friend, and, and I'm sure that a lot of other people will find uh, your work not just exciting, but also the, the things that you do, like you said, off the top, what you're doing to, to give back to you because the video is just, just a stand up example. So, so kudos to you, man, for, for, for a job well done, for a career. Thank uh, you for well, sir. I appreciate it. So, thank you guys again for joining us. This has been uh, David 51 Norman. He is a tour manager to the stars, tour captain to the stars, and, and he is just one helpful person to know. Check him out, follow him on all social platforms. You can follow us at Musically Hits. Don't forget to subscribe if you're a YouTube watcher. And don't forget to hit the plus button on Apple or Spotify that helps our podcast to grow. And we want to continue to bring you great content just like we're doing today. So we will see you next episode. Take care. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, go ahead and hit that plus sign or follow button and leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach and add value to others just like you. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched.